The stories in this book have been told and retold, cherished and revered by literally billions of people over thousands of years. People have devoted their entire lives to studying this book. There are hundreds of thousands of commentaries on it. And many people believe that this book had to have been written by God. The Torah, what's so special about it? Why is it so mesmerizing? And how has it managed to capture the human imagination for millennia? I'm David Kasher, a rabbi at Ikar in Los Angeles, and together we're going to study the weekly Torah portion of the Parsha and figure out why the Torah really is the best book ever. So you're reading through the Parsha this week, and you do a double take. Maybe you rub your eyes because you think you're seeing spots. Or dots, really. Yeah. It looks like there are a bunch of dots in your Torah. Well, don't worry, it's not you. They're really there. Dots in the Torah, hovering over one of the words in this week's Torah reading. You'll find them in most printed editions of the Torah, but they're actually even there in the Torah scroll itself. So what are they doing there? Okay, a little background. There are actually 10 places in the Torah where one word, or several, is traditionally written with dots above them. And a full five out of those ten dotted verses are here in Genesis, and we've got one this week. Now, you may be thinking, dots in Hebrew? Aren't these just vowels? Because it's true, Hebrew's vowel system is similar, little dots and lines above and below the word. But this is something else, because the Torah scroll is written without the vowels. Generally, no dots. But every once in a while, there's suddenly a word which is written with dots above some or all of the letters. Sort of like one of those funky German umlauts with the two dots over the U. Or actually more like a lowercase i in English. Because it's one dot over one letter. It's kind of a cool little oddity, but why? What's it doing there? Well, the most traditional answer actually sounds pretty non-traditional. Basically, the idea is the dots are a kind of notation to indicate that we're not sure if these words were written right. Wait, what? One of the hallmark principles of Jewish faith, famously formulated by Maimonides, is that the Torah is straight from God and it was perfectly transmitted, every word, no mistakes, no exceptions. Oh, except for like 10 places, it turns out? Can the rabbis really be saying that? Well, yes, they can and do. The classic source for this idea is a very unique work of Midrash called Avot de Rabbi Natan that I happen to know quite well because I, I once translated it. And it's sort of like a Talmud for Pirkei Avot, the famous collection of rabbinic ethics. So, in chapter 34 of Avot de Rabbi Natan, there are lots of lists, and in one of them, they list all of the places with the dots in the Torah, and then they ask, like we did, why? And they say that Ezra, the famous scribe who wrote down the Torah again after the first great exile, Ezra said, if Elijah comes and says, why did you write it like this? Meaning, that's wrong. Then I'll say, well, that's why I wrote those dots there, to show there was a problem. And if he says, this is perfect, you wrote it exactly right, 
then I'll just erase the dots. Smooth, Ezra. Very smooth. But there you have it. An ancient notation that basically just means mm, not so sure about this one. Okay, that's one explanation. But I once asked my friend Julie Seltzer about it. She's one of the first women to be trained as a traditional scribe, and she's written out several actual Torah scrolls. So I wanted to get the insider scribal scoop. And she did give me the traditional explanation first, but she also said that a cynic would tell you that the dots were there because some scribe, somewhere down the line, had a rough parchment and splattered some ink. The splatters really do create dots, she said, speaking from experience. And then she added, all I can say is that I get really excited to write them. Maybe because they're different. It's an opportunity to color outside the lines, if you will. Which I think is such a cool way to look at it. Anyway, in the end, she said, one way or another, they're attention grabbers. And that sort of brings me to my point. Because what's so incredible about these dots, for those of us who are obsessed with the tradition of Torah commentary, is that they've been used over the years as extra sources of interpretation. That is, in addition to trying to understand the words of the Torah, the classic commentators have assumed they could make meaning of the dots, as if they were there to hint at something unusual going on with this word. Interpreting dots, can you believe that? So here's how it works in the dotted words in this week's Parsha, which are in Genesis chapter 33, verse 4. Vayaratze Esav likrato. Esav ran out to greet Jacob. Vayichabkehu, and he embraced him. Vayipol al Savarab, and falling on his neck, Vayishakehu vayivku. He kissed him, and he wept. And it's the, he kissed him, and in Hebrew that's all one word, Vayishakehu, that has the dots above it. So the commentators begin to wonder, what's going on here in this kiss? Is there some hidden subtext in this moment of brotherly love? And actually, it is a bit of a weird moment, if we stop and think about it in the larger context of the story. I can't tell if it's climactic or anticlimactic, but basically the backstory is that there's been all of this build-up for the whole first part of the Parsha, where Jacob, who's heading back home after two decades, hears that his brother Esau is coming towards him and starts freaking out. This is the brother he ran away from to Parsha's back because Jacob had tricked his father into giving him Esau's blessing, and for this betrayal, Esau was ready to kill him. So Jacob is freaking out, and he sends gifts and peacemaking overtures, but he prepares for war. He divides up his camp and prays to God for help. And then, in what's probably the most famous part of the Parsha, Jacob has this mysterious night of wrestling with an angel, which seems to be some kind of spiritual preparation for a battle with Esau. And then he looks up and sees Esau charging towards him with 400 men. And then he goes up to him and they embrace and Esau kisses him and they both start crying. Now, that was not what I expected. I mean, it's very sweet and tender, but come on. It kind of comes out of nowhere. What happened to 20 years of seething resentment and the burning need for vengeance? They just kiss and make up and that's it? That doesn't sound quite right. And then there's those dots.
So maybe it's not so surprising that our commentators start to suggest that this kiss wasn't necessarily as loving as it seemed. Rashi, our most famous medieval commentator, quoting the Sifrei, an earlier rabbinic work, says the following. It's a dotted word, so there's some disagreement as to what it means. Some say it tells us that he did not kiss him with a full heart. But some say that for this moment, his compassion was stirred up and he did kiss with a full heart. So it's unclear, says Rashi. Maybe his heart was in it, maybe not. But what's interesting is that Rashi sees the meaning of the dots as inherently ambiguous. Just like the dots traditionally indicate that we don't know exactly what the word should be, so too here they indicate that we don't know exactly what the feeling behind the word is. But what Rashi does take for granted is that these dots mean something, and that they're fair game for interpretation. But to be clear, not everyone agrees with that. Because if Rashi is the most famous medieval commentator, number two would have to be the Spanish rabbi, Abraham Ibn Ezra. And if Rashi's style borrows from the wild interpretations of the Midrash, Ibn Ezra is known for sticking to the pshat, the plain, straightforward meaning of the text. So it's no surprise that he comes in hot on the other side. He says, all the Midrashic interpretations of the dots above he kissed him are good for those who are just being weaned from their mother's breasts. Tovhu latike mishadayim. But the simple read of the verse is that Esau never intended any wrong to his brother. Now, those are some fierce fighting words from a medieval rabbi. Oh, I know it's so fun to make up stories about the dots if you're a tiny little baby who doesn't know how to think yet. But I must say, in this debate, I'm on the tiny little baby side. Because there is something suspicious about this kiss to begin with. And with the dots on top, there's got to be something going on here. So now, let me give you my favorite answer from one of the most creative and playful of the medieval commentators, the Baal Haturim, another Spaniard, who gives, shall we say, a much sharper interpretation. The word is dotted above, he says, because he was actually intending to bite him. Shikiven lenashko. Whoa, Esau's coming in vampire style. Because remember, the verse says he was on Jacob's neck. Talk about a hidden meeting. Behind that kiss lurks a ferocious snake-like attack. And it's such a great interpretation because I think the Balaturim means to say that these dots here are almost like the bite marks that never landed. You can just imagine the two bloody little dots on Jacob's neck. And there you have it, folks. That is probably the closest you are ever going to get to finding a vampire in the Torah. But it's also a wonderful illustration of the layers upon layers of increasing intricacy that are possible in Parshanut, this tradition of commentary on the Torah. Because the rabbinic interpreters looked not only at the big picture of the narrative, but also zoomed in closer and found meaning in the construction of every single word and even every letter. And this is part of what creates the unique richness of this reading experience. Because as you begin to sift through the history of commentary and interpretation, it soon starts to feel as if 
each letter in the Torah is a little nook where some idea or story is hiding, encoded, and waiting to be discovered. And then the scribal tradition adds new quirks and twists to our text with particular letters that are, by tradition, written in unusual ways. Too big, too small, inverted, broken, or out of place. And these too, the rabbis teach, can contain hidden meaning. And then, if that weren't enough, you have every once in a great long while something even smaller and more unusual. A tiny little dot. And even this little nothing, this point floating in space, can be a holding place for a twist in the story, which suddenly jumps out at you and bites you in the neck. Best Book Ever was produced by Ben Cooley and edited by Vera Blossom, and our theme song is Pitrouli by Hillel Tigay. You can listen to more of his beautiful music on iTunes and Spotify. And while you're there, why not subscribe to Best Book Ever if you haven't already. If you're interested in supporting this podcast and our work, you can visit us at ecar.org and donate or Venmo us at ecarla. That's I-K-A-R-L-A. Thanks a lot and see you next week. Thank you.